Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. going to talk about food food trends (laughs) (laughs) i mean i will say there's been a lot of food trends over the years and you know we'll probably hit on some of them when we're talking about new food trends but i think it's funny like think about 90s food trends let's just talk about some of our favorite trends of the 90s like how about california blend vegetables (laughs) you know like what was it? Cauliflower, carrots, oh. and then was it maybe a broccoli? They're all cut up in like florets. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah 90s or- food trend. Actually, speaking of 90s food trends, I have found myself eating a 90s food trend that I'm actually kind of enjoying. I'm on a, like a little bit of a weight loss journey over here. So I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> I'm just pulling out the big guns. Um, and So like snack wells or something? <laughs> right? Oh, God, gross. No, it is. It's a cantaloupe, and right now it's kind of cantaloupe season, so they're really, really good. Oh, I love cantaloupe. Never really loved fruit, but for some reason I've been kind of into it lately. Uh-huh. Um, so it's cantaloupe and uh, cottage cheese. I know. That's a 70s food trend for sure. Is it 70s? I mean, it is just, yeah, it's like Jane Fonda. Yeah. And you know what? It actually, I, th- I think it helps. I, I like to get the cottage cheese with the probiotics yeah. in them. They're kind of more expensive, but... I, I know that, you know, your gut health, especially during this time period, is really important. Definitely. Definitely. Splurging on the probiotic organic cottage cheese with my organic cantaloupe. <laughs> you know, I thought, I don't know why I thought you were going to say this, that you were getting into sun-dried tomatoes. <laughs> because that was such a huge trend. In the 90s. I mean, a yes. sun-dried tomato bagels and yep. pasta and mm-hmm. does anybody eat those now no not really you'll see it, you'll see it like <laughs> a trader joe's pasta um i do like a sun-dried tomato pesto sometimes but mm-hmm, yeah it mm-hmm. just really really went out of fashion really quickly i'm actually kind of shocked because it does add a really kind of smoky vibrant interesting like depth and richness and it does it does i mean i think bring it back we should bring it back we should and th- i the thing i remember about them is that they were very expensive yeah i mean maybe i would have oil maybe i wouldn't think that now but in the 90s when i was living off of like ramen yeah I, it seemed really really expensive to me yeah i always thought about how can i sun dry a tomato I'm like can i just put it in the sun and you're like no <laughs> do you like flies yeah, exactly <laughs> that. that's, that's disgusting i mean i, I have a feeling that because because it became so popular and so overly used, it just stopped selling things. You know, like yeah. other things. I'm actually kind of shocked that it, it is kind of it's not it's not more popular. I think people should bring it back. I think they should, you know, because some other food trends of the nineties are still around, are still relevant, like mm-hmm. salsa. It's like the nineties was when salsa moved into the middle part of the country, yeah. you know? 
Salsa is like an essential, though. Yeah. yeah, now it's an essential. It's like an essential mm-hmm. condiment for most families. But what's that? That um, that hot sauce, the um, uh, sriracha. sriracha. Yeah, yeah, that's like an early aughts food trend. Yeah. I would say so mm-hmm. relevant. Still relevant. What what, what other what other? Uh, all the Pepperidge Farm cookies. Ooh, uh, mm. wheat thins mm. and triscuits. Mm. Like these, like high yeah. end crackers. <laughs> That were like, yeah. and I, you know what? I'm pretty sure both of those crackers at some point had a sun-dried tomato flavor. They actually did. I do remember them. Yeah, yeah. I think Triscuits even had one. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I love a Triscuit. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I know that we originally bonded our friendship over um, those potato skins. Potato skins. <laughs> Yeah, the chip. Yeah, in the '90s, those Keebler elves were churning out some of the best chips Oof. our 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 species yeah. will ever see. You know, pizzerias. Yeah, pizzeria. Miss those. I mean, not that I like sit around eating junk food all day long, but you know, I like to know that they that they are accessible still. Oh, you know what else was a food trend of the 90s hmm. uh, in terms of chips were, um, oh, my God, now, Sun Chips. Sun, sun chips. chips. I yeah. remember well, when they first made them because we hadn't gotten a new chip in a long time. And I remember <laughs> it was like it, it was like it was front page news on the schoolyard. It was like, oh, my God, this brand new chip. And there's something about multigrains. You know? Yeah, they were, they were like for they were for more evolved people, like people who might yeah. also drink a Snapple at lunch, you know, oh my God, instead yeah. of a soda. Which ended up just basically just sugar water. Yeah, but disgusting. you know, like have, <laughs> you know, it was sugar water with like a little, like a little. Um, if you snapped it open, and mm-hmm. it and had that quote in it. Yeah, and do you remember Fruitopia, which was the Coca Cola was like we got to take no. down Snapple, so they made oh. their own version, but it was like also just sugar water. I remember getting that that strawberry kiwi one. Like I can't. Oh, I still know. I know the flavor. Like it was so popular, and I think it was in every single one of my school lunches. And now I. Oh, I can remember there was once there was one summer where I was working at a day camp as a counselor, and every day I would pack in my lunch. This is so (laughs) gross. Get ready. (laughs) I would pack a sandwich that was seafood salad. You know, like imitation crab meat, which is also a food trend. I, to this day, man, I love that shit. Okay, so seafood salad sandwich, some sun sun chips. You gotta have, you gotta have them, right? Side dish, yeah. And then one of those strawberry kiwi snapples. And the thought of all three of those things in my stomach right now makes me so. How are you still alive? I mean, probably that's why I have all these stomach problems as an adult. It was all that summer, that one summer. Your childhood? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I remember, um, what, uh, what was the Oscar Mayer, um, you, you like put them together, these little, the sandwiches, the, the Lunchables? Lunchables. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Just pure processed food. So but gross. they But they marketed it during like the cartoon time period when we were kids and they be like, that's what the cool kids, uh, that's what they brought. I never had one. I wasn't cool. My parents were like, that's ridiculous. You don't need that. Yeah, my mom too. Meanwhile, my mother's making Nutella sandwiches. <laughs> Literally. 
sandwiches. My mom was like, if you want lunch meat so badly, we'll buy some. And it was like, no, you don't get it. We don't want lunch meat. No. We no. want lunch of bulls. Lunch of bulls. Mom, exactly. get it right. No, uh, <laughs> speaking of food trends, mm-hmm. have you noticed this trend of these more like adult versions of Lunchables? No. It'll be sort of the same kind of container as the Lunchables come in, but it's like a mini charcuterie plate or like a protein pack and it'll be like little slices of cheese and salami mm-hmm. and maybe some like nuts. There'll okay. be some sort of tiny dessert. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know, maybe like a little dab of hummus or something. And I A dab of hummus? A dab. <laughs> I Not like just sitting there. It's in a container. Cool. I know that's nauseating. But, uh, <laughs> okay, I – you know, I like to analyze these things as you do as well. And when I mm-hmm. started to see these kind of at Whole Foods and, you know, every grocery store now actually, and if you're on a road trip and you stop at like a nicer convenience store or rest stop, they have them as well. And I think it's one, Starbucks sort of innovated this with other like protein yes. plates and stuff. I was going to say it. I was like, Starbucks did that protein thing. And I love that thing. Yes. I still love that. When Back in our Nasty Gal days, mm-hmm. man, I was like... It's eating like those that, regularly. That egg, that egg that's yeah. been shelled, which is always kind of weird, but much better than any other egg you could make at home. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think it's partially Starbucks innovating and people who like analyze food business mm-hmm. seeing that. But I also think that people who grew up eating Lunchables are adults now. <sighs> and so they see that and it's like a comfort food for them. Totally. So I think it's like. It's like a blend. I mean, yeah. Someone brought this to the executive meeting. They're like, "What if we made a protein, paleo, whatever, adult lunchable?" I mean, it killer. And then my mom checked in the room. Was like, "If you want lunch meat so bad, (laughs) if you want lunch meat so bad, we'll we'll go get you some Oscar Mayer. Yeah, go to the deli. (laughs) Yeah, we go to the deli." Well, you're like, no, like, I don't even want to eat the meat. I just want like, I just want like the crackers. I know the- my mom was so against them. And it was like my brother and I like pined away for them. And so mm-hmm. I would make us fake Lunchables. <laughs> that is so cute. I'd be like, here's your Lunchable in like a little plastic Tupperware container. <laughs> Wait, would you just like reuse a plastic Tupperware container or, or one of like the Lunchable containers? No, because we weren't allowed to have them. So I would take... Like you never even had I, one. No, I never even had one. I would take like a regular Tupperware container and I would put cardboard dividers in it. Oh my god! And I'd be god, like, and so... they, we were allowed to have juice boxes, so I'd be like, "There's your juice box." <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, now we're going to talk about current food trends. So Kim, why don't you take it away? Sure. Um, you know, obviously during this time period, in in like the covid pandemic where going to restaurants is a little bit difficult and you know particularly at the beginning of the pandemic it was you know on every man for himself um you know this quarantine has really affected the livelihoods of chefs and kitchen workers and there's been just tons of trends popping up you know i follow eater i follow a lot of chefs and food critics and i'm always just wanting to see kind of what's popping up you know here in la there's this huge underground Detroit pizza trend where these like chefs that weren't really pizza makers just started making these 
delicious comfort food, Detroit pizzas, and they sell out constantly. They've also been people making, you know, uh, chefs actually making breads, like really delicious breads and things. Um, and they're kind of building these like little businesses that just started from, you know, like a chef just being like, well, I don't have anything to do tonight. I'm going to make this pizza. And if anyone wants any, they're 15 bucks. And, you know, but they're, you know, the capacity is only maybe, you know, 10 pizzas. So, you know, kind of scaling that business up and making a living for themselves and trying to find and source new revenue streams has been extremely important for um, different restaurant workers. I love to support independent restaurants. Like that's one of my favorite things is to go out, go check out the new, the new restaurants, check out the new food trends. Obviously I can't do that anymore. So uh, one of my friends had kind of alerted me to this cooking class that she was doing uh, with a, a company called Dark Horse Organic. And it's a, a chef. He's a Michelin star chef here in LA. And he does a whole line called Dark Horse Organic Condiments. And they're all made here in LA. They're high umami, modern pastry staples, handcrafted by chefs in Los Angeles. They only use the highest quality organic ingredients, mindfully sourced mm. and curated. They're made in small batches using the ancient techniques of preservation, mm. fermentation, drying, aging, and smoking, which is a massive trend in itself. Here in LA, there were restaurants right before this pandemic that were popping up that were just so specialized in fermentation, in pickling, in like kind of all those really interesting ancient ways that are actually really like healthy gut beneficial. So this company has, you know, umami powders, they make this umami ketchup, they make, you know, pickled mustard seeds, all these really, really cool condiments. So they decided to start doing a cooking class and like an online zoom cooking class. And for $150, $50 of it is for these condiments to come to you that you'll be using once a week for four weeks when they are doing these, um, these cooking classes, you can use those condiments and then you'll, um, uh, you, you'll, then you'll have the condiments obviously to use for other things, you know? So I got this rose gold honey. That's literally a honey with rose petals and 24 karat gold in it. Wow. And it's beautiful. I mean, I, when I opened it up, I was shocked. I was just like, this is like an absolute luxury. item. I mean, it, I think it might go for, I think it retails for like $30. It is worth $30. I'm telling <laughs> you that is, these products would make a fantastic gift like i think that they they are missing an opportunity also on their website on like gift bundles and things oh like that oh my god yeah if i received that honey as a gift i would oh, be so excited stoked yeah I, and yeah if you look on on their website you want all of these amazing condiments that you just i think it, it, it does require a bit of a learning curve because a lot of them are asian influenced you mm-hmm. could probably use them on anything you know like eggs and things like that but anyways the cooking class themselves they're it's all vegan and it's his recipe that he actually uses in his actual cooking. Last week was a Moroccan tangine. The week before was a Japanese curry, uh. which was just insane and delicious. And then there was this uh, Korean uh, silken tofu soup, you know, that spicy soup. Yes, that's one of my favorite foods. It's like definitely in my top 10 favorites. It is one of my favorites. And I, I'd never, ever thought about actually making it myself. I like to go out to restaurants and, and eat food eat from and support the community and like eat from people that actually, you know, are, are pros at this product, but you know, you can't really 
go a lot of places and I'd love to just learn and experience it a little bit more. I think that they're kind of in their own learning curve of how to do this. You know, they'll be in the middle of demonstration and they're using all these crazy tools and you're just like, I don't even have these tools. I'm super underprepared. You know, each week they're kind of like trying to send out more and more information ahead of time. So you can kind of get ahead of it. Amanda, you had a little, a little. Yeah. I think there's a huge opportunity here for someone. Here's, here's my new hot business tip of the episode to start kind of marrying these online cooking classes with a bundle of cooking supplies. Like I'm thinking specifically more esoteric seasonings, spices, and then like tools. Imagine for the Japanese curry class, you could pay 50 extra dollars and get all the spices and maybe like a really nice grater or the right kind of spatula. I think there's so much opportunity there. I look back to 2008 and the economic crisis as a time where a lot of people started brands that are super successful now because it was like you had no choice but to innovate and it was sort of the wild, wild west in terms of what you could do with your life. Yeah, I think there's a chance for people to start super viable businesses. I think the era of the prepackaged meal kit is over. Now it's about giving people the tools to cook. More and more people are not into the lack of freedom that the meal kits give you. Because you're kind of like, this is what you're having this week. And all the packaging is really problematic. Teaching people how to cook and giving them the right tools is the next trend. I've done Blue Apron. Mm -hmm. Has have I. You actually sent me a free month several years ago. (laughs) I think think it was really cool and really interesting. I just – I wanted something that maybe – was a little bit a little bit more health conscious. I agree. And I felt for a meal for two people, it was an awful lot of dishes. Yes. And it was actually a, a ton of food, at least for me, but not enough for other people. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. Mm. Like when I would have to share with Dustin, it was like, uh, now I feel like we're both hungry yeah. when we're done. But there'd be like 37 dishes in the yeah. sink. Yeah. And this one meal. It was just yeah. – and the packaging blew my mind. And I know that they've worked on that yeah. and all of these other competitors. Are- they work on the health thing too now too. Yeah, and there are healthier options out there. But once mm-hmm. again, you're sort of locked into these recipes based on what they're going to send you that week. You might not be in the mood for that. And it doesn't help you – be a better cook. Unfortunately, a lot of cooking is like, it's obviously an art, but having the right equipment is kind of essential. And why, why you should be using this. Yeah. Like, you know what? I would love to get a really incredible knife that came with lessons on how to do better knife work. Like that sounds amazing to me. Yeah. Me too. Oh my God. Absolutely. Someone invent that so we can buy it, but give us a discount. Thanks. Or like sauce making. Yeah. Or yeah. Fermenting or je- jams and jellies, which I've done, but I had to like, I had to go and research it. Yeah. I had to buy a book. <laughs> yeah. Get a, get a book and then go into Amazon and buy all this stuff. Some of it I didn't even really need, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think having these really kind of interesting virtual classes with physical product would be a really really cool trend. I mean, you know, speaking of those, those meal kits, those things are like when this pandemic hit, those things sold out right away and they're still selling out. Oh, I'm sure. Selling out. People are 
really doing them. I mean, I can see the days they get delivered on my block because half the doorsteps have one on them. Mm -hmm. And we don't do that because the amount of food is not right for three people ever. And, you know, it's complicated in our house because we all have different dietary restrictions. And so it's like... There's just no way to make everyone happy with something like that. And like, once again, the packaging is just really problematic to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Do you feel like there's opportunities? It's mostly digital, right? And these opportunities will continue to grow post-pandemic as people, maybe restaurants are closing, you know, there's gonna be a lot less opportunity to go out dining. I'm just trying, I'm trying to figure out what sort of... I, I think so. So in the beginning of the pandemic, well, okay, let me mm-hmm. rewind. I've been working for two years as a consultant for a zero-waste grocery store startup. It basically relies on a lot of bulk product and uh, reusable storage like jars and bags and whatnot. When the pandemic began, we were able to get our hands on some like grocery store industry intelligence because we needed that. Like We needed to know what analysts were thinking about the future so we could update our plans to reflect that. You know, like if we're going to have to put in additional protocols to keep people safe, we need to work that into the PNL now. You know, we need to have a plan for that. We need to be able to speak to that to investors. And I always am very hesitant when something is in the very early stages to mm-hmm. listen to an analyst. And that's in regards to anything, whether it's like an industry or like even think back to the kind of stuff they were telling us at the beginning of coronavirus, like, oh, you didn't need to wear a mask. And there was a, there was a lot of misinformation going around because there, there wasn't enough time to gather true information, right? So a lot of these grocery store industry analysts were saying that before the pandemic, 50% of meals that Americans ate were prepared outside the home. Whoa. Meaning they were from a restaurant or, uh, you know, maybe takeout at the grocery store. I mean, back when Dustin and I were living in Portland, any night he was at work, I was at that uh, Whole Foods hot bar, you know, like it's just a regular part of our life. We all work. A lot of people actually don't know how to cook. Cooking's really intimidating. A lot of people's cooking skills are not up to par with what they would get in terms of a restaurant or even takeout from Whole Foods. So like, why do it, right? It takes a lot of time to learn. Right. So suddenly all the restaurants were closed, right? I mean, you could get takeout, but it's expensive. You're exposing yourself. It also took restaurants a while to adapt their, I don't know, their processes for takeout, right? Yeah, absolutely. These All these grocery store industry analysts were saying no one was ever going to go back <laughs> to eating at restaurants and that from now on, almost all the food anyone ever ate for the rest of their lives was going to be cooked at home. And what? I call bullshit on that because- That's total bullshit. Because you know what? When you work, sometimes you don't want to come home and cook for an hour and a half, right? And you're busy, you're traveling. Right now, you can't go see your friends and go to shows or go out happy hour or go on a trip. But like, eventually, you'll be able to and you're not going to be like, sorry, I got to go home and cook dinner. We're going to totally go back to eating a lot of food out. But- I do think we know that this is going to go on for a while. It's it's expensive. And like, as I was saying, somewhat, you know, it's a little risky to get takeout and you kind of get burned out on your takeout options too. People who never thought about cooking before are now into it and they have the time to learn how to do it right. And I think this stuff could carry forward well after the pandemic is over. Well, they're also, they're also building their own self-confidence. Mm-hmm. So once you start trying something and realize, oh, I actually could make that, you know, you can start exploring more and more things that maybe you you only rely on restaurants for, mm-hmm. you know, but people just have the time now. They have the time because your commute doesn't exist. Like they, they're saving a lot there. But once 
things start opening up and going back to normal, they're going to, they're going to start losing that time, you know, but I do think that there will be a continued uptick in home cooking. Absolutely. And I do think this is an opportunity for people who work in the restaurant industry who are taking a really big hit to monetize their skill Mm -hmm. sets, like you were saying with these other classes. So you can charge people for the classes, but sometimes that can be challenging too. I think giving them a physical object. So it's sort of like they're paying you for these products that are going to, you know, help them cook better and they get the lesson for free, but ultimately you're monetizing your experience. And if you are working with the right person or persons to help you figure out the financials behind these equipment packages, you can make this a really profitable experience for both sides of it. Yeah. God, you know, imagine if there was like an, like a cooking therapist, (laughs) you know, like you, you would get all these tools and you're kind of learning some things and you're using this cooking as therapy. Because a lot of people do that is use kind of cooking as their, as as like a form of therapy. Like someone could totally monetize where, you know, you're, you're working with someone and they're, and you're just talking through things and just like, it's almost like a meditation time period. (laughs) Totally. I think I, have always enjoyed cooking dinner after work because it helps me leave work behind and clear my head and have some time that's just me. And it's this mixture of creativity and instant gratification. And self-care. Yeah. For making yourself a healthy meal. Because obviously when you cook at home, you have the opportunity to, to know exactly what's going in there, how much oil is going in there, fat, sugar. It's it's just, it's easier to to keep that in check. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally, totally. I think people who were not aware of those advantages for are now learning that during quarantine. And I think that's going to carry forward. Yeah. So another another online experience that I had heard about, you know, and I'm sure there's just tons of online experiences and I did do some research and, you know, there's a lot, there's platforms. I mean, Amanda knows some fa- platforms that are doing it, but Airbnb is offering experiences where you can learn you can learn lots of different things. My favorite is the baking section. Um, you can learn how to make a croissant. You can learn how to make Scottish shortbread from Scott, someone who's actually in Scotland. Ah, oh, that's incredible. And once again, this is like necessity is the mother of ingenuity. It's a it's a situation like that where you can't you can't rent out your Airbnb anymore. So, like, what what could we do? Yeah, I love this kind of innovation? Well, there is this one that I heard about that my sister actually participated in. And you should check out the link. We can put it on the website. But for $30, live from Portugal, drag queens, these absolutely incredible drag queens, will put on a show for you and then teach you how to make authentic sangria. And Wow. Yeah. And so they used to, they have a house and there's all these drag queens that live together in this big house. And I believe from what she had said, the house, it was like a destination for Airbnb and they had to pivot quite quickly and started doing this experience. Wow. So for $30 a person, you can get on there and do something really fabulous and support some really awesome people. Yeah. That's so cool. I love that. Once again, like creating opportunity when others have Mm -hmm. kind of fallen by the wayside. Yeah. One other thing that I wanted to mention, which is more of a product focus. I'm sure that you have seen the ads for this all over social media, you know, the digital marketing on this, they have big 
spend on new acquisition and retargeting. So the second you go to their website, you know, you'll definitely be served a lot of ads. Well, yeah. That's my well, fave. <laughs> right at the beginning of, of the pandemic, they were doing this massive sale. It's, it's a company called Our Place and they have this Instagram friendly always pan. Mm-hmm. And I just ended up <laughs> buying it. It took about a month and a half to get uh-huh. because obviously the, the ties were basically severed from China and product wasn't able to get through customs. It wasn't able to deliver anywhere. Like everything went just stopped. So, you know, they, they sold it at a, a pretty severe discount, I think probably to, to help pay for production and, you know, just, and just to continue to support their business during this time period. Of course, nobody really kind of knew what was happening and the fact that, that everyone's going to end up having to cook from home. I'm sure that, you know, their sales just were like insane and they probably just didn't, had no idea that they were going to be so <laughs> crazy. Mm-hmm. So I did buy the pan called the uh, Always Pan. The brand's called Our Place. They're here in California. Um, They talk about elevating the everyday essentials. They make things really efficient and really beautiful. It's kind of, you know, taking that that cooking and dining industry and, you know, kind of disrupting it with like a kind of new product that can offer you a little bit more in terms of its like efficiencies and its storage solutions. Apparently it replaces eight pieces. I think it might be a little bit of a stretch because they're like, it replaces a spoon. You're like, well, it's got a spoon, but the spoon kind of, (laughs) you know, you know, you're like, okay. Or it's like, it's a skill and a pan. And you're like, yeah, okay. But it's fully modular. It basically, it's like a, it's a pan. It's a ceramic nonstick has this spoon rest. It comes with, a steamer basket that will stick and sit in it when it's in storage and this and a, and a lid. It's got this pour top. One of my favorite features is that it's got a, a handle that doesn't get hot. There's nothing worse. Yeah. Than it. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. That's really important. So I have been using it. It is a bit big, you know, I live alone and it makes a lot of sense. Obviously most people probably aren't, you know, living by themselves. And so that probably makes a lot of sense, but it is a little bit big and I would love to have potentially two sizes in it. You can use it as a fry pan, a saute pan, a steamer, a skillet, a saucier, a saucepan, a nonstick pan, spatula, and spoon rest. That's what their eight things are. That's what I'm saying. It's a little bit, a little bit of a stretch. I love the ceramic nonstick. It makes eggs fantastic. You, The one thing <laughs> that you can't yeah. do yeah. is you cannot put it in the oven. So you can't like make a frittata, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, which is fine. One of my biggest pet peeves here, guys, don't use anything metal on the pans. The number of times I've left my home and, you know, had someone house sit when I used to have cats and come home and all of my pots and pans have been scratched up by your fork while you were making your macaroni and cheese. Oh. Um, <laughs> only oh. use a wooden spatula, please. <laughs> I think, it's a, I think it's a great product. Um, and then it's really like Instagrammable. So they, they were able to kind of develop a product that not only is really beneficial and helpful, and it's affordable. It's $145 for all of those things. And it's a great gift, particularly for someone maybe who's just going to college or, you know, getting a new home or things like that. I do wonder how the finish is going to hold up. Like there's already some burns on it, you know. Like the beauty happens, like like when you do the unboxing, you know, we'll see how how it you know chips or stains and things like that. Uh, they're all on pre-order still, so you'll all have to wait. Yeah. So I mean, and that's that just kind of goes to show um, Amanda's prediction that 
this is not this is not slowing down. People are still going to be cooking from home, and everyone's learning how to cook, mm-hmm. which I love. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Cooking, it's like. Something that would keep me awake sometimes is the fact that uh, most of us don't have a lot of survival skills. And when you say survival skills, people think like, oh, can you rub two sticks together and build a fire or gut a fish? But no, I'm talking even more basic things like cooking or fixing the sink or, you know, you know, restretching a screen for your window. Like these are all things that we didn't necessarily learn from our parents, but previous generations all knew how to do. And I'm glad that now we're being forced to learn them. Yeah. It, I mean, all you got to do is just YouTube it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, you got to listen to some asshole talk. Sometimes. Oh, there's always, there's always too much intro. Oh. I could live without it. Yeah. yeah. So long. Can we just speed it up a little bit? Yeah, exactly. I just skipped I mean, there, there, there's an opportunity right there is, <laughs> is quick guides. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, same thing. I would also just say when you find recipes online, the like 17 paragraphs of like background story before you get to the oh, recipe, make me insane. Right? Tell me about it. Just stop it, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to talk about cake. <laughs> I'm going to talk about (laughs) several cake meme Instagram trends, okay? So there's there's like so much cake stuff going on right now, which makes me laugh because remember when cupcakes were like the thing everyone posted on Instagram? It was like the era of sprinkles and the cupcake ATM, which I know is still around. And I will say I like their cupcakes and I think cupcakes- Sprinkles? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't like them? Oh, well, there you go. Like eating a bowl of sugar. They, well, yeah, but they're a cupcake, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know. I, of course, I'm just like I'm like I, I, I used to live across or not live. I used to work across the street from a Sprinkles. Uh, so anytime anyone had a birthday, which was constant, mm-hmm. you got Sprinkles, and it's always like, oh man, it's like this. It's like that super sugary frosting. I think it's. I think my problem was with the frosting. I think that they they could do a better job. <laughs> With their frosting. You heard you heard it here first, sprinkle. Yeah. <laughs> Kim doesn't like the shit. While cupcakes had a moment a couple years ago that went on, I felt for several years, I have always been a huge fan of cupcakes. Like remember when someone would bring them to school for their birthday? I mean, cupcakes still feel like a special yeah. thing to me. It was almost sort of sad when they went away. And then it seemed like either macarons or donuts were going to replace it but it it like never fully happened you know and instead all we got was avocado toast and like photos of people's healthy bowls of food yeah like acai yeah exactly exactly or just like this is my like passion bowl or some they always had like a dumb name anyway it kind of shows where we've all been going in terms of our eating habits which I guess is good it was a lot healthier but earlier this year I started to see a lot of really elaborate cake decorating accounts popping up and Instantly, I had to start following these because learning how to decorate a cake is one of those skills that I aspire to learn someday. Like, it's really important to me. I mean, imagine if I could just whip up a beautiful cake at home, right? And you know what? Cake making and cake decorating is hard. It is a really complicated skill set that also requires special tools, like for sure, if you want to be successful. It's an art. Yeah, it is an art. It is. So at first I was seeing a lot of these incredible Korean cake decorating mm-hmm. accounts like Benny Cake and Juju Cake. And I mean, these these cakes were beautiful and just unusual colors. And, you know, it wasn't like all the fondant nightmares that we see on Cake Boss. Like this was like just beautiful traditional cakes, but with like great use of color and composition. 
But then I started to see these American cake accounts pop up like Coven Bakery. I highly recommend them. They've been doing a lot of pastel stories lately that I really love. Is it like a witch's coven? <laughs> I don't know why it's called that because nothing is witchy. I Maybe at some point yeah. someone went through a witchy a witchy phase. I was kind of hoping it was like some sort of witch <laughs> like, bakery. Someone needs, someone needs to start making goth cakes. So long ago in Portland, there used to be a store just for cake decorating called the Decorette Shop. It was like amazing mid-century mm. sign and it was the coolest place ever and it really was just cake decorating supplies. But I think everyone started just outsourcing their cake baking and decorating needs. So it went out of business. I think cake decorating could be another great quarantine hobby because as we just said, it's an art. It takes a lot of time and patience to learn. Uh, you could have plenty of time to bake cakes and practice right now. You could brag about it on Instagram. I think it's way cooler than baking a loaf of bread, honestly. Do you remember in Bridesmaids when <laughs> the Kristen Wiig character, you know, she was a baker and she, she goes in and makes that one cupcake, that perfect cupcake with the flour on it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, it's about having the right tools and the right method. It's a technique. It is a technique. You have to be an artist to pull it off and especially pull it off in a really compelling way. So maybe someone needs to start a business teaching people how to decorate cakes online and they can buy all the special tubes and knives and whatnot. So there's another hot business plan idea for someone. Then there's another cake meme trend and it's objects that are actually cakes and objects that aren't cakes so already it's like what are you talking about so it began as a tasty video of these I mean I it blows my mind these fondant creations they looked like real objects like there's one that is a crock like the shoe that's being sliced into and the texture as it's cutting through this shoe is exactly like watching the video. It looks exactly how you would imagine it would be to cut into the actual croc shoe, but it's a cake. Are they edible? Is like fondant really edible? Like, do people want to actually eat it? Yeah, it is. It's but you can eat it. You can eat it. It's really sugary and it's got a weird texture. It's got a lot of egg whites in it. Do people usually just take that part off and then they just eat the cake inner? Yeah, because it's like it's. I mean, it's very structural, so it's like dense and chewy and rubbery, and so it's like you know. just like siding. They're basically yeah. like using it to for the siding to go inside the cake. I mean, you can imagine if it looked when a knife was cutting through it like an actual crock. It gives you an idea of like the weight of it. Um, there's yeah. another one that's a roll of toilet paper made out of fondant. I mean, this one blows my mind because once again, it the weight of it seems like a, how it would feel to cut into an actual roll of toilet paper. But then they get halfway in it and split it open and it's a cake. So this kind of blew everybody's mind, right? I mean, I'm, I've am i seen these videos like a hundred times and I still am I, – I can't believe it. Uh, it's like taking cake decorating to a next level. So this actually turned into a series of meme videos like – like the earth being a hyper-realistic cake being carved by the astronauts. It's pretty cool. And then it turned into videos of people trying to cut into actual things and expressing surprise that they weren't cakes, like a box of tissues or another shoe. I think I, I sent you this. I think I sent you so, like a Steve Aoki. Goodness. Yes, yes. Oh, I 
there's another one that's like a pizza that someone cuts into and it's actually a cake. I mean, there's so many different versions of this. So it sent me down this rabbit hole of hyper-realistic mm-hmm. cake research. And it turns out hyper-realistic cakes have been around since the 90s because that's when fondant technology made a leap forward. Yeah. <laughs> or at least the artistic capabilities of fondant took a great leap forward. So, Kim, do you know what a groom's cake is? No. Yeah, we're not we're not we're not those kinds of girls, right? Apparently it's kind of a southern a southern thing. Cake historians actually think the popularity of the groom's cake helped move the field of realistic cakes forward. Basically the groom's cake is supposed to be a whimsical reflection of the groom's hobbies and interests. So this is at the wedding. It's like a secondary cake what? and it might be like a football helmet or an acoustic guitar for covering Black Crow's songs or something. I don't know, like something that the groom is into. But meanwhile, I guess like the brides can only have a really serious cake that reflects their lack of hobbies. I don't know. This is in the South? Yeah, it's like a Southern thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I were going to have a groom's cake, I I don't even know what it would be. It'd be like a a house plant, I think. (laughs) If if I were a groom. (laughs) A cat. A cat. Yeah, that's just so grisly. Thinking of industries that have really blown up since the 90s, I would say the wedding industrial complex has really blown up since then. And so, you know, weddings got way more elaborate than with social media. They got even crazier. And you, so you see that, like, now you have to have this whimsical groom's cake to have more social content, I think, and to spend more money on your wedding. So it makes sense that this would be in demand. It, it makes sense from the timeline. Thanks to all these ridiculous weddings, now we can get cakes that look like Crocs. There are, like, at least five gazillion variations on this cake meme now from comics about cutting into things that turn out to be cake to witty tweets about things that may not be cake. I've seen since that first Tasty video some really weird hyper-realistic cakes. Like a, like there's a romaine lettuce one that also like thinking about something looking so much like that unique texture of romaine lettuce is pretty incredible. And there's one that is an oyster that even gets that weird wetness of an oyster you know what i'm talking about it's it's got a sheen to it yeah it's insane like these people are artistic geniuses so here's my super deep psychological take on why this is happening you know we're in a time when everything we know is falling apart like our government our way of life the economy it's kind of hard to take anything at face value anymore so it makes sense that maybe everything is just one big hyper-realistic cake. You know? I mean, why not? I know it sounds crazy, but if you told me six months ago that we were all going to spend months locked inside while people drank bleach or said we should just let old people die to save the economy, I would have said that was absurd too. I completely agree. I mean, I think people also have more time on their hands to make these hyper-realistic cakes. I mean, I have seen them around, you know, and I remember starting Mm -hmm. to get memes for them. You know, maybe even like a week or two ago where I was seeing memes of memes. Yeah, that's where it is now. It's like memes of memes of memes of memes. And I like missed the, the beginning part of the meme. And I was like, what is this? What is this? And then I started Googling it. And I was like, oh, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, I feel like I just missed a part of the story. I'm like, haven't we already talked about this or... Yeah, I think I think you're you're kind of right where we're in this like weird dystopian portion of of society where 
thinking of like utopian everything's a cake sound sounds a little bit better yeah. than what it is right now I know like it would be great if everything just turned out to be a, a really delicious cake yeah. you know and I think you know as you and I started to talk more and more about the trends that we've seen like comfort and fantasy and distraction like they all become a part of what we're mm-hmm. doing with our time right now because we also have to learn how to cook and survive I think it's a nice offset to be fantastical yeah yeah agreed well speaking of trends of food around the world and what people are kind of getting into um Pinterest had come out with um, some global food cooking trends, basically the top two things that were being searched on Pinterest by country, and they posted it on their their blog. So you can go to their newsroom and look at it. Um, and, you know, it's actually kind of fascinating what the top searches were like United States, it's two comfort foods. Actually, it's mostly comfort foods for most places, but United States was Navajo bread. Yum. Yes. Delicious. Originally Navajo bread, it was made from the rations and it was basically lard and flour, you know, and salt. People are finding comfort in this Navajo bread and and likely it's a similar thing where we don't have a lot of uh, ingredients in our homes, you know, like, like particularly at the beginning of the quarantine, it was kind of like, you know, we're basically living on rations here. So finding a delicious, delicious, comforting bread during this time period was the the hotis of cuisine and then the second um, highest researched pinterest pin is shepherd's pie with ground beef one of the ultimate ultimate comfort foods i can actually make a really good vegetarian one that uses lentils in place of ground beef and it really hits the spot and i like to for the topping mix uh like regular potatoes with sweet potatoes so good well, there you go. Innovative, <laughs> Innovative up there. Yeah. Canada was asparagus pasta, which is very specific huh. and also kind of healthy. Yeah. But also kind of Yeah, healthy. I like that. They also canned ham recipes. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you know, my, my guess is they probably have a lot of canned ham in their um in their pantry and they're just like, well. Let's this if if now's the time to use this. I mean, to be fair, ham is good. Okay. So I'd probably eat it. <laughs> it just sounds in a can. Like, you know what I'm thinking of is spam, which also spam is good, actually. Well, I think I think that that's what that is. Okay. Spam I will I will stand behind spam. I will fight someone over it. Uh it's not it's ham adjacent, I would say. It is. <laughs> It's a ham product. I think that they even call it. Ham product. It's like a product. <laughs> if you do look at this, you know, this map, there's other canned recipes in these top. The Mexico, it's recipes with canned tuna. Brazil, it's canned sardine recipes. Oh. Whoa. I know. Oh. But, you know, to each his own. It's, it's all about like pantry staples and comfort. 
which I think is extremely fascinating. And you can just find that on the, um, the Pinterest website. I love that. And, you know, it's kind of a good segue into what I'm going to talk about, which is also sort of an extreme version of comfort food. I call them extreme food recipe accounts. You know, like I know you're already like, oh, God. So hack culture is so huge on Instagram. Like sometimes and sometimes there's really good stuff where you're like, wow, I didn't know how you could plant an avocado pit and get a plant. You know, like that's amazing. But then there are like really bad ones, too. I saw a hack for adding a pocket to a sweatshirt that involved, quote, upcycling a pair of old underwear <gasps> i know by sewing them onto the shirt no whoever is doing that needs to be removed from the internet so that's a bad hack right there's a whole spectrum of hacks out there and you have to be uh discerning as a hack consumer <laughs> of course there's tons of food hacks out there and it started with accounts like delish and tasty which to be fair have some amazing recipes i have both their cookbooks and i use them all the time they're kind of like a delicious blend of comfort food and bar food they are not healthy i mean it's like lots of cheese dips and vegetables with unnecessary bacon and they're they're great i mm. usually use them as like a base recipe and then i i judge them to make them healthier or vegetarian I read somewhere actually a while back that most Tasty employees gained 10 pounds in their first few months on the job. And I believe it based on their recipes. I mean, once again, they're delicious. And knowing that people want comfort food now more than ever, I'm sure they're selling a ton of cookbooks and getting even more traffic. But so to compete in this world of Instagram hacks and bodacious comfort food, you really have to take it to the next level because you have Tasty and Delish sort of cornering the market there. And there's one account called Twisted, which is out of the UK. And there are other accounts like this too. But they take it to the craziest level with like garlic bread stuffed with cheesy hamburger. It, you know, it reminds me Just, of those restaurants that were doing that. And they would be on like, you know, Food TV Network. They're like, they're making the, the sandwich inside of a giant pickle, you know, like stuff like that. It's like a, it's like a do-it-yourself yeah. thing. Right. So- Kim, I'm going to tell you some recipes from Twisted. These are real recipes. I didn't make them up. And I want to know if you're interested in making and eating these. So Mm. the first one is giant beef stew garlic bread, which is exactly what it's – Okay, so that's a pass. Okay. (laughs) How about this one? Fajita mac and cheese sticks. No, disgusting. disgusting. (laughs) And I want to say that these recipes are labor-intensive. Like you have to make the macaroni and cheese. You have to saute the fajita vegetables. You have to – smush it all together and bread it and fry it like it takes some time okay so I think you're probably like more of a health conscious person you probably you know want to get those good proteins so Mm. what about a giant filet fish sandwich the size of a birthday cake (laughs) but why does it have to be so big I don't know they also have a huge Big Mac as well I mean (laughs) literally the size of a round birthday cake like a six incher is it it to share yeah i guess i mean to be fair if i went to a party and someone had made a giant filet of fish i'd try it you know <laughs> I'd, I'd be like wow you worked really hard on this. i like those giant pizzas you know yeah see or like the huge cookies those are cool too, like cookie, the cookie, oh, cake. cookie cake yeah so this is like this is like a modern version of that okay what about and this one came from a series on twisted called uh recipes for hangovers chili quesadilla dogs dipped in ranch uh so basically this is like this is like you i know i know you make it you make a quesadilla right you put some chili 
I feel like it sounds like I'm making this up, but this is real. You make a quesadilla, you put some chili on it, you put a hot dog on it, and then you roll it up, and then you dip it in ranch. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is a step in between where you take the hot dog that's rolled up in the quesadilla, and you saute it in the pan to, like, really, like, seal it shut, and then you dip it in ranch. Okay. Well the, well, the worst part about this is that right now it's really hard to get that really delicious Kroger restaurant style ranch dressing. You know, the really good ranch. Yeah. Oh, you can't yeah. Get, like, no one can access that unless you're a restaurant. All you can get is gross Hidden Valley Ranch. That's like sugary, watered down, like despicable nonsense. So you can make your own. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just not the same. So it's not the same. Yeah. yeah. So I'm imagining Hidden Valley Ranch chili kids sad sad yeah yeah i okay i will say on the topic of ranch one if you get the packet of hidden valley Mm. it's much better than if you get a bottle i wonder why i think it's because the bottle has a lot of preservatives Mm. in it whereas the packet you mix it with like sour cream and mayonnaise or buttermilk or something Mm. and so it's a lot more real um but it's pretty easy to make your own ranch once again it will not be like that kroger ranch it's going to be different Mm. but it can tastes pretty good okay next one bacon macaroni and cheese shots does it have to be a shot can it just be a bowl i I mean you it kind of is really (laughs) and then what about cheese stuffed burger wellington which is basically like a beef wellington made out of hamburger meat stuffed with cheese It's like beef inside a pastry. So imagine instead a pastry with hamburger in it and cheese. Yeah. What, you know what it reminds me of? In hmm. You know, I'm from Wisconsin and um, adjacent to Wisconsin is Minnesota. And they have something called a Juicy Lucy, which is oh. a burger with a food inside <laughs> of it. <laughs> I hate this already. <laughs> the juicy, juicy. Yeah, yeah that's disgusting. Cheese burger Wellington. I, you know, I don't. Wait, is there is there a bun? No, it's got like okay. a pastry crust on it. Like this is like a little bit more elevated. I think that that sounds pretty good. That's. I feel like I would eat that. This one you could like have some people over and they wouldn't be mortified. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, there's a lot of other weird stuff from other accounts that you can just watch on IGTV. Like, just get your phone out and like you can go down a rabbit hole for hours. So is this one you're, you're recommending, Amanda? It's kind of fun if you yeah. like to be really grossed out. Yeah. It's really fun. It, everything involves both garlic bread and macaroni and cheese, basically. What I will say about these recipes, unlike the New York Times cooking or Martha Stewart, both of which I follow and love, all of the ingredients are extremely basic and readily available. Whereas, you know, like with New York Times cooking or Martha Stewart, there might be some sort of produce or spice that is really challenging to find or really complicated technical skills needed. Like this is not. Yeah. So now I'm going to take you down a different road in terms of food trends that is not so appalling and is beautiful and delicate. One quarantine food trend that I thought was pretty cute in the beginning was the focaccia art. You know, like they're arranging the edible flowers and intricately cut vegetables on focaccia. Have you seen these? Yes. And um, it's pretty, yes, right? Right. And now that I, you know, now that uh-huh. I say it aloud, it sounds super stupid, but you know, it was pretty. Like I've seen some really good ones and I think it's an easy way to be creative and also kind of almost ties back to all this cake decorating that I was talking about. Well, one way to blow minds and make those focaccia artists look like amateurs is gelatin art, which mm-hmm. 
sounds disgusting, right? Because you're thinking of that like mid-century practice of putting everything in jello and it's like instantly fancy. Like the worst version of that that I've ever seen included SpaghettiOs and hot dogs suspended in a tomatoey gelatin. Like that's a real recipe from the 60s. This is not this is not what I'm talking about. This is like beautiful flowers and fruits and other foods suspended in like a delicately flavored gelatin. So if you search the hashtag gelatin art, you will be blown away. Artists are utilizing edible pigments, seeds, flowers, you name it to make these look it just they're delicately beautiful and delicately flavored. One of my favorite artists out there doing it right now is Canadian artist mm-hmm. Sharona Franklin. She's been creating work since she was about four years old. She actually was diagnosed as a child with Stills disease, which causes severe painful inflammation of the joints and internal organs. So she's always coped with that by making art. Wow. She also makes these really, really cool quilts. I urge you to Google her. But her gelatin art, all of which is edible, is my absolute favorite. And you can see her work on Instagram at paid.technologies. I mean, I, I followed her for a while ever since she did a partnership with opening ceremony last year. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And it has that kind of like cottage core. Vintage. It does. It's just, it's beautiful. It's, it's so, it's stunning. And once again, we're talking about basically jello here. Her work is so stunning that Gucci had to knock it off. Well, first, they offered to hire her, but then they told her they couldn't because of budget reasons, which is classic. I feel like we see a story like this every day, right? So instead, after they farmed all the information from her in terms of her process, the kind of materials she uses, the kinds of tools she needs, because this is a highly skilled art, you know, and there's not a lot known about making gelatin art. So you really have to get into the head of someone who's doing it. After they stole all of this information from her, they hired someone else to do it for their Cruise 20 collection. I know, I know. But don't worry, Diet Prada called it out. And they had to pull the campaign. And I I don't know if they, you know, they gave her some money or, uh, I mean, I guess they sort of apologized. It was sort of a half-ass apology from what I saw. But she's still making really cool, beautiful stuff. And she actually had a show in New York that started in February that I didn't get to see because then the world closed down. Uh, one of those, th- one part of it was a decaying gelatin sculpture, which I, as of a couple months ago, you could watch a video of it decaying, like a live action video. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's still going on. I mean, because now it's been like five months. I feel like that sounds really depressing. Yeah, I don't think and they probably not, that. probably not. But anyway, <laughs> hopefully she will get to have another show when the, all of this is over. I, I please go yeah. look at gelatin art on Instagram. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely, absolutely recommend it. Also, I do talk about this often. Amanda and I haven't even talked about it before. So I'm super excited that she brought this one up. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I just love beautiful things. And I love that all this time at home is forcing us to find new ways to make beautiful things. And I will say like one of the cool things about a lot of the gelatin art that I see is that it's just flowers from people's garden, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, fruits that they already had gelatin. You can go buy, you know, at any grocery store, these simple ingredients that allow you to make art. I mean, Amanda, this is, this is another one. This is the gelatin. Yeah. I mean, this, I agree. Someone or, or hopefully maybe even like Sharona Franklin 
could, you know, partner with someone and do a kit and a training video where you can make your own. I mean, that's, I would love Me too. Me too. There's not really very many resources out there to figure out how to make it, like what you can use in it. Like, because gelatin itself is, you know, it's a strange, it's a strange substance. And, you know, I, I made some jams and jellies like about a month ago, you know, and I got like a sugar free one and a, and one with sugar. And I made like a, I made a jelly out of like a, a delicious wine that I had. And then I made a jelly out of like beets and, you know, (laughs) but I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and if you could have someone get in there and teach you, that could be a huge, huge business right there. It is. And I will say working with actual gelatin versus, you know, Mm -hmm. jello, just to be clear, I'm not talking about jello. Yeah. It's, it's really challenging and it's a slow process. I used to make elaborate artisanal jello shots for every occasion everyone's birthday i would like what's your favorite mm-hmm. cocktail i'm going to invent a jello shot uh at one point i made chocolate covered jello shots what and yeah yeah i mean then they were really i mean i'm not not to brag but they were really good and they had port in them and then like some fresh cherries and then you know after they solidified i covered them with chocolate and for those kinds of things you have to use powdered gelatin which it's like a slow yeah. thing. You, you have to let the gelatin bloom. And there's a lot of constant stirring. There's a lot of technique to how you stir it. Otherwise, it gets clumpy. It can get um, opaque when it shouldn't be. You want it to be shimmery and clear, especially in this situation where you're putting beautiful flowers and stuff yeah. in it. So there's there's opportunity. There's opportunity out there to teach people how to do it. It seems like mm-hmm. a crazy thing to talk about. You know, when we think of jello molds, we're yeah. like, wow, but this is like. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you know ambrosia? Ugh. Or, I mean, I, I remember being a kid and, you know, you, you go to Thanksgiving with like all the, like, the older relatives and it was always just a bunch of crap you didn't want to eat, <laughs> especially the jello with like the floating pieces of banana in it. Oh, it like, totally. Or fruit cocktail. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely remember that from being a kid. Like, you would be somehow like a mixture of like maybe cherry jello canned fruit and i think sometimes mm. there might be like whipped yeah. cream in there it's whipped cream yeah on top. i mean i can like mm-hmm. i can like smell it it's like why would like that shouldn't even be food matter like what <laughs> is that like it's it, it, it i remember like, like do, wait do you remember it here's an 80s food trend jello jigglers <laughs> do you remember those oh my God, yeah yeah i remember <laughs> yeah isn't that disgusting yeah disgusting i i hate jello like you could not get me like why would anyone eat that i mean i know a lot of people like jello i just ugh, i've never like, even as a kid i thought it was disgusting i thought it was disgusting too but jello jigglers had a moment and if you don't remember these from your childhood it was like you would take i think if i recall you would take two boxes of jello and mix it with fruit juice and it would create this mm-hmm. sturdier jello that you could cut out with cookie cutters into shapes <gasps> And yeah. eat with your hand as opposed to eating from a bowl. Cookie cutters. Yeah. I definitely remember doing it for my brother's birthday at one point. Gross. I remember having it at a birthday and being like, this is disgusting. <laughs> I mean, my school. Here's the my school, My school would sometimes serve Jello as part of the school lunch. I mean, that – and it was always like a weird – purpley gray color like i don't even know what the flavor was supposed to be no value yeah it's just sugar water yeah it's so gross it's disgusting (laughs) well anyway thank you so much for listening to this journey through both delicious foods and nightmare foods (laughs) 
<laughs> we'll be back next week with some more hot trends. I think next week we're going to be talking about beverages. Yay. Yay. Bye. Bye. Do you have a trend suggestion? Do you think we're all wrong? Want to share your own gelatin art? Drop us an email at info at the department.world or find us on Instagram at underscore the underscore department. Want to see more of our recommendations? You'll find them on our website, thedepartment.world. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend. We forgot last week to call out a special thanks to Dustin Travis White for our incredible theme music, like best theme music I've ever heard on a podcast ever. <laughs> Bye.